Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. Creatives, Mark Filio has a message for you. Wake up. The founder and creative chairman at FIG believes that in today's world, data, technology, and AI are integral to the creative process and understanding what resonates with audiences, and creatives need to get on board. That's why five years ago, FIG invested in building Story Data, a proprietary platform that analyzes creative resonance and performance. In this episode, Filio chats about the convergence of creativity and technology, the importance of getting real-time feedback on creative ideas, and urges creatives to be at the forefront of generative AI development. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, Editor-in-Chief of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Mark. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Getting ready for the holidays. Are you taking some time off? Yes, I'm deep in it. Oh, you're in it. Okay, good. I'm from Chicago originally, so we're going to go back there for see family. Nice. Nice and warm. Chicago. <laughs> Well, everywhere is kind of warm now. It's a little alarming. Excited to have you on the podcast today. Obviously, you have a very venerated creative career. And then uh, back in 2013, you started your own agency, FIG. So talk to me about what led you to start your own agency. What did you feel like was missing from the creative agency space that made you want to launch your own? Uh, my smart ass answer is I, I was working in Midtown where all the big holding companies were and I wanted to move downtown. So <laughs> I'd start my own agency to do that. That's a good reason to start your own business. Yeah. Now, the truth is I was uh, a global creative director at the time and um, I was looking around to see what my next chapter was going to be. And everybody I talked to was kind of suffering from the same thing. And, and that is the same thing. Everyone was kind of doing status quo. And I just had to face the facts that if I want to do something different, um, I had to start my own agency. And that's what I did. And I'm very happy I did. It's the best decision I've ever made. Yeah. So when you say status quo, like what what did you feel like that meant and what did you want to do differently? It was that you don't really in, in the big I was a big agency guy. You know, I was at Chiat Day before starting FIG. There's structures in place. Right. And there's bureaucracies in place because it's big. They're, they're needed. They're built for not to change. They're bu- built for to be steady and static and reliable, that kind of thing. Right. That and that is built for big, huge clients, which I need that kind of structure. It's not necessarily built for progressive thoughts or things that innovation is not. It's just not built for that. And that's what I was very interested in. So that's why I, kn- I knew I knew, needed to start my own place to do something different and to try some new things. Yeah. And I know we'll get into some of the innovation stuff you've done at FIG with, yeah. with story data. But one of the um, innovative things is FIG's model, right? You guys are a partner model. Yes. Um, and you staff clients with senior talent. So talk talk a little bit about that. Like, what does it mean to be a partner-led agency in um, how do you make it work so that you do have senior people available to to work with clients? It's everything is a give and take, but it, it's a really good example of the kind of reason I started an agency. The current model that exists out there with holding companies is bureaucracy. So it's very senior people at the top and quickly you get to uh, less experienced people, which is fine, except for in my experience, clients want very senior people working on their business. 
writing the stories, writing the strategies, writing, you know, helping them think. Um, and so the, the, that big agency model doesn't always work, uh, especially for uh, midsize clients that really want, you know, deep thinking. So we have a, a very senior team, my, myself and Judith Carter Rodriguez, uh, who's our CEO. And we also have Richard Tan and Robert Valdez as partners. Those are the original partners. But Amber Higgins is our new chief uh, strategy officer. And Justine Amor is our creative director and our CCO. And uh, that's and, and Frederick Stallings is our uh, head of data. So we have that. That's our partner group, and there's nothing that we can't tackle. And we could we spend a lot of time with our clients on their business, and our clients really react to it. They really respect respect it, and that's why they choose us very often. Yeah, for sure. I think you know a lot of clients get frustrated with the kind of now you see me, now you don't thing in the pitch, right? Like they'll get mm-hmm. all the best people in the pitch, and then that person is never to be seen again. Right. And we, to be honest with you, during pitches, we say, you know, we're available and on your business. And it's one of the first things they check with references. And luckily we, we're telling the truth. So all of our current clients uh, say like, it's one of their favorite things about fake yeah. leadership on their business. So how do you make that work? Like both financially, like, do you just say you have to pay for these people and that's how it works? Or is it just like also like a flatter org structure? Like what are some of the like mechanics that actually make this model possible? Uh, well, the partners work. We're all in the work itself, like no matter what the discipline is. And we're, we're, we do the work with our team. So it's not, we're not just this management group. That, that's the, the biggest difference. Um, so we, and we, we just make time for our clients. To be honest with you, it's not that difficult. Mm. Um, if you, if you have a mindset of, Hey, we're a small group of people who could do a lot, which is what I believe. As a matter of fact, I think a small group of people could do more than a big group of people. And we eliminate all those bureaucratic unnecessary layers. We have plenty of time to sit down with our clients mm. and you know, we're also organized. We're like, when do, when does, who does their, our client need at what time? So I'm not in every meeting, but I do quarterly meetings with all our clients I'm there with the key, you know, when something's on a CEO or CMO's mind, you know, they call me and I'll spend all day with them talking through a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always available for that. Yeah. So it's really just like at other agencies, bigger agencies, it's more, there's more management people who aren't actually like touching the work. Whereas you guys are management, but you're also doing the work and you're with the clients. Yeah. And I mean, bureaucracies, it, it, it's really what we're fighting against very often, right? In a lot of different businesses, there's this ego plays a big role too as well. I have to touch it. So-and-so reports to me. So I, and there's these built-in cultural problems and we just do away with all of that. And mm-hmm. by the way, most small agencies operate in a similar way. We are more um, senior at the top than most agencies, but that's one of the advantages of small independent agencies is we don't have those pre-existing structures that weigh the process down and get in the way. And in today's world where, you know, you're at the speed of culture, you just can't afford to have the bureaucracies. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a really good point. One other thing that you're able to do more easily at a smaller agency is innovate, right? And sort of keep up with some of these creative trends that are happening in the marketplace, whether that's generative AI or creators or whatever it is. So talk about Fig's philosophy on creative and how you kind of tackle creative problems. And then we can talk a little bit about um, some of the tools you've built to enable that. 
Yeah. Um, well, Fig, we're a creative agency. So that's the most important thing to us. Uh, the, the storytelling part of it, our kind of positioning statement, for lack of better, is uh, storytellers for the information age. <clears throat> and whenever we get lost, we kind of go back to that. And that, that just reminds us that what we care about and what the reason we're in business is to be storytellers, to be creative, creative people. But we do put it in the context of today's world, which is the information age. There's a lot of noise out there and we do everything we can to increase the signal, uh, and which is the story. Uh, so that's, that's really our go to, you know, platform. Yeah. And then so one thing you've built to do that is story data. So talk about what that is um, and how it works. OK, so like I said, we care about creative and then. Just to kind of set the table a bit, there's a study out there by Nielsen. It's a 20-year study, so it's it's pretty robust. And they they come, they get to a solution or a, a um, result where everybody else, including Facebook and Meta and everybody, or Google, they that creative is the most important element of any ad. And that is the effectiveness. Like, it will add to sales. Creative versus uh, media targeting, for, for instance, or media reach or even the brand heritage, creative, what you say and how you say it is the best way to make an effective ad by far, by the way, like 50% of it is creative. So that's established and nobody's really challenging that, but none of our data systems out there, which is how the world operates now, none of them rely on data about creative. They rely on data about the consumer or about the media, like spend that kind of stuff, when and how and where people see the message. Nobody's looking at the message itself. And that was the big light bulb that went on our, in our minds about five years ago. We said, well, with today's technology, with computer vision and natural language processing and audio neural networks, we could train a data system based on creative data, not just consumer data. And that was a game changer for us. And it led to all sorts of stuff. Because now, like I said, we ha- we live in the information age where there's a lot of noise. And I'm worried with that same technology leading to, as you said, generative AI, for instance. What I'm worried about with that is it's going to add to the noise. Mm. So that system, you could do a lot of work for very cheap. That's where it's going. And it's in the hands of the wrong people, in my opinion. It's not, it's not creative people trying to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get a lot more work and it's a lot cheaper. That means there's going to be a lot more of it and it's going to be average work, at least from the foreseeable future. AI is not going to come up with original thoughts. Right. So there's going to be a lot of average cheap work out there. That's not good for anybody. That's certainly not good for brands. Our system is very different. We say, OK, how do you use AI and not just generative AI, although we use that, but. AI systems, meaning machine learning, really, and statistics, how do we use that to increase the signal, not the noise? So how do we make a brand be different, be relevant, be emotional, all the, all the things we know how to do? How do we help? How do we create a system that could help us do that at scale, which is the really hard part? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think um, your point about generative AI, like I've heard it be referred to as like the tsunami of crap that's about to come. That's exactly what it is. You know, the average is, you know, now affordable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what are, I guess maybe walk me through an example of like what this tool can do. If you like maybe a client example of what kind of insights it was able to surface about the work and then how that actually like improved performance. Well, 
where we began is new business pitches. So they're, you know, hard to get into. And, and, you know, you get these long lists of agencies and an average pitch, you need to get down to one or two. And we, and you have to be smart really quick, as fast as you can, because there's a clock in a new business pitch. So we started using a tool just strategically like that. We could look at an entire category. So we, we take in about a thousand ads from any given category and we start to analyze them. And then we could say, okay, each brand does about a hundred ads, you know, in various channels. So we're everything story data does is multi-channel. And we look at everything and we could say, well, this brand's telling these kind of this kind of a story, and this brand's telling that kind of story. And your brand, the brand we're pitching, is telling this kind of story. Over the we go back five years. So over the past five years, you've been telling maybe it's a product story or your competitors might be tell, talking consumer story. So we could start to find the white space and we could say, so why don't we nudge your story towards in this direction and we'll start in this channel and then we'll expand to that channel. And we're gonna learn as we go. So what started off, like I said, is in, in the pitches, it worked really well. We, we, we get into most pitches because of it, because the client could see, holy cow, you guys have information nobody else has because this mm-hmm. is creative information. And you have it quick, like we, because it's AI and you, once you train your systems, that's when it really becomes efficient. We could do, we understand a category inside and out within 48 hours now. That's a real advantage in a new business pitch. And it shows mm-hmm. our client that, hey, we understand your business. We understand your category and we know where to take you creatively. Yeah. It also kind of speaks their language too, right? Of like, show me like what's working, what's not. And give me something that I know can actually drive performance or, or help me stand out from the category that I'm in. Exactly. And so where we started a new business was really a strategic tool to understand what kind of creative to do. And now where we've taken it is, all right, now once we do, we land that client and we do a, a campaign, what used to be like, okay, let's do our three commercials, you know, like mm-hmm. let's do, or let's do the activation, whatever it might be. And then you get out there, you hope and pray that it's going to work. Now we design our systems to say, all right, we got our theme. We got our strategy. We have our creative idea. We have our key visuals, that kind of stuff. But now let's purposely do multi-channel work and depth and breadth. So try some different things. What if we said it this way? What if we said it this way? Then we put it in market. And Story Data now is a performance tool is what we've been working on this year. That's the big uh advance we took this year so now we could say is the story working mm. very importantly we have to say is it getting better so let's fi- fine tune that signal let's really strengthen it and that, that's i think missing in the creative field right now is that stories could get better the media folks are really good at that the problem is media folks say it gets better by being more efficient and i want to say it gets better by being more effective mm. So what kinds of things are you looking at to see that it's getting better? Like if people are spending more time with it or they're buying things from the brand, like, does it kind of depend on what the brand wants to measure? It's exactly right. There's all sorts of KPIs. Uh, We can look at return on investment. We can look at, you know, do do you want, you know, clicks, whatever it might be. And that's a really important thing. And I can't believe how deep into that shit I've gotten over the years as a creative guy. (laughs) But it's, it is a really important thing because right now, don't care, like creatives, I'm talking to creatives, wake up. The media agencies and the platforms are dictating what you're doing. 
they're saying the KPI is a click and you're writing a story that's just charming and you want people to like the product. You're trying to persuade people. You're not writing to get a click. Those are two different things. So we have to either start writing for the click or we have to change the measurement. I hope we change the measurement, uh, whether that's awareness or whatever it might be. There, there's dozens of them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, you were kind of joking, like, I can't believe how deep I've gotten into this. But as a creative, like, how have you kind of wrapped your your head around all this data stuff? And like, what can creatives do to be more fluent in technology um, with how, how the world is going? They're going to have to be, right? So like, what are some things that you did as a creative to really dig your, your heels into this stuff? Um, I just saw it as, you know, as a creative, and I think most creative people are like this, is you solve problems, right? That might be a brief, a creative brief. You know, like I, what's the problem is I have to tell a funnier story, whatever it might be. And, and But then I kept looking at like, well, what's going on in the world? And, you know, how is our how is our work being judged? Because one thing, you know, we know is if you can write one of those famous campaigns that stay relevant, that's that the brand really takes off there. And then you're really doing your job. And, and that's when it becomes famous. Right. All the ads that, you know, come off the top of our heads. So I was looking at that and like, I want to increase the chance of that happening in my agency. And I started looking at the barriers to that. And the barriers really are this media measurement thing became a big barrier. I was like, well, what's going on there? And really what's going on is they had data and they had proof that it worked because of that data. And then on top of that, AI came along and AI is nothing but a system that works with data. So it goes from data to information and then from information to knowledge. So I was like, all right, we have to get in on this. We have to control this a bit because the creative is more important than the media decisions. That's what I think. And that's what the data would say. So the creative people have to get involved. So I'd say, get in there and solve a problem. What's the problem? Why can't you sell the, the ideas that you want to sell? Why can't you win the pitches you want to win? Why can't your, why can't your idea get better over time instead of just, you know, going away? Um, so once you put your creative mind towards solving a problem, this is where it takes you. And uh, yeah. it's exciting to be, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I get off on it just like I used to on creative. It's, it's the same systems. It's just different. Yeah. I think a lot of creative agencies like don't feel they have the capabilities to build something like this or like they're not technology companies. Right. So building a platform is not in their DNA. Like how did you kind of get over that and just build the platform that you needed? So once we had started FIG, uh, five years into it, we had a thought of what if we did um, we, we wanted to get firsthand information. So we were trying to do a data system, some cor- some kind, because we knew data was going to be really important. We saw, we saw the, the future kind of thing. So our first idea was the thing called Quiddity, which was kind of like, you know, the New York Times wire cutter model mm-hmm. where you're, we, we thought, well, we'll do a, a, a platform, a publishing company that works with data and we could, works with um, shopping. So that's kind of advertising, right? And we'll do videos within that and we'll get first party information. And it was just a way to play with the, a different way of approaching our business. And it, it worked. It didn't work. You know, it was a lot, it took a lot more than we realized, but there was a key meeting. And because we hired engineers to help us build the thing, um, there was a key meeting when someone said, well, what if we ran the video through computer vision? And I said, what's that? 
And he explained that, well, computer vision, basically a computer watches a video and turns every visual into a word. And it was like an explosion went off. Um, I immediately saw like, well, that means that's different data. Mm. And I, I was just like, well, if I know that, well, I know the words that are in the scripts and we could just keep going. Then we added audio and it, it just snowballed. It, it went really quick. So we shut down Quiddity and we started Story Data, uh, which focused on that technology. And do you have like engineers in-house at FIG to maintain yeah. it? Yeah, it's really important. So the, the two components really are engineers and data scientists mm-hmm. and analysts. Th- those are the three groups that we work with. And it doesn't have to be huge. We're about 10 people. Uh, Frederick leads that group and he's doing an amazing job. And his background uh, was chief data officer at PhD. So he came in really understanding how to, and he was building products, really understood how to build a data product, which was really important. And I got to tell you, the first couple of years we had the idea, but we didn't have the systems and mm-hmm. he helped build those systems. And then the idea and that system together really took off about uh, three years ago. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I don't know of any other creative agencies that have engineers on staff. So I think that that would probably be one place to start if, if you want to embrace technology more. Yeah, exactly. And the, I think that engineers and creatives are very similar types. They Obviously, the output is different. Yeah. But that type of thinking of problem solving is really similar. And th- there are creative agencies that have a lot of engineers, like RGA kind of agencies, but mm-hmm. they apply them to a different thing. They apply it to like interface, for instance, right. whereas ours is like, hey, we have this math problem and how do you, you know, build an interface for that? So, right. by the way, Story Data is a, uh, we do have an interface that is a, a site where you could go and everybody at FIG could access it. And it's a tool we use every day now, so that's, yeah. that's happened in the past couple of years. Well, it's kind of taken on like a life of its own, right? Like it's its own brand now, almost. A little bit, yeah. But it's integral to FIG. Like right. you can't really separate the two. And whenever we we talk about it, just like this, I'm talking a lot about story data. I care about FIG and I care about creative. Mm-hmm. Story data is a great way to achieve great creative. Yeah. So it, I, we're, There's no confusion of what's important or what's our mandate or what we care about. We care about creative. Mm. Story data didn't help us achieve better creative. We'd stop using it. Yeah. Well, do you see a uh, potential for it to become like a new revenue stream for FIG, like either licensing it or something we, like that? Yeah, we are playing with that. We, we do license it right now to some independent media agencies. Um, and we're just, that, that's just kind of a beta that we're trying. But we do know the power of it right now is when you combine fig with story data mm. because it's th- this industry is always going to be people and machine. Yeah. And, you know, we want to make sure we have the right machine and we have the best machine, but we care more about having the right people. Um, and that's what fig and story data together does. Um, it really ensures that we have both of those components because I think any agency is going to need it going forward. Whether yeah. you're using off the shelf machines like chat GPT three or something, or you build your own, which I would recommend. Um, that those two things are going to have to work in tandem. So, why do you recommend build your own? Well, like I said, AI is nothing but data. So it's what you put in is what you get out. We put in data that we've trained to understand advertising. Mm. Right? We literally trained. That's what's taken five years. 
We said, this is that, this is that. Using cluster analysis, we say, this is a product, that's a consumer, that's a brand thing. Like we've trained it over time. Mm-hmm. So we, we have our data and our system understands advertising much better than a gener- general AI, which understands a lot more than advertising. And we use that to, to really make it robust. But we go deep and most AI goes wide. Yeah. It's the internet. So I really think creative agencies especially need their own data set and their own system if they want to use AI to do something different. Mm. I, by the way, I think this bullshit out there is when people are talking about, well, generative AI is great for coming up with ideas. I've never met a creative or a creative agency that had a lack of ideas. I think it's not a problem and everyone's talking about it like it is one. Right. I want to be clear. Generative AI is about doing stuff for cheap. That's mm-hmm. it's not doing better. It's doing cheap and a lot more of it. Yeah. I think you have a point there. Well, I feel like you're also, Fig is kind of at the forefront of the like collapse of the funnel, right? Like there's no such thing as like brand or performance anymore. Like you have to have performance on your brand work and your performance work has to be creative. So where do you see that? kind of going in terms of like how creative agencies have to approach um, their work? It's a really good question. And I do think the funnel's collapsing for sure. And I think it's a very good thing, by the way. Um, I'll just take performance marketing for your performance media for a second. You just have to do a lot more of it, right? Creative people, if, if an average creative team got a brief to do a performance video, they could do better than the average performance team working on it. And what, what I mean is if you spend the time crafting a message with creative experts, it will get a better result. You don't have to do like, come in now. That, that's, those are all myths. Good creative works every time. The problem is scaling creative because you have to do a lot more work and performance. That's where AI could come in. If we could understand well, what kind of story works. In other words, if we could brief, you know, uh, performance media better. We could do better creative because we'll, we'll be more precise. Right now, performance creative is shooting in the dark. You just do a bunch of stuff and then whatever works, you do more of it. And then you do more, a bunch of stuff. That is not an efficient model. We're much more precise because of our machine. We could predict what story is going to work. So we could brief it to a good creative team to work on it. Mm. Yeah, no, I think... Um it's especially now like with CMOs needing to just prove every dollar spent, it's really important for them to also have that output data, right? Like how did this work? Even if it is a a brand campaign. Exactly. And so I was talking about performance. The same thing happens up at the top. Creative brand creative has to be more performative. So everything's going to be measured and we have to accept that as creative people, you have to accept Everything you do will be measured. So you have to make sure it's going to work. Otherwise, your work will die. It's just that simple. And there's really good news here. The stuff that gets measured, that measures really well, that wins, scores really high, is everything we like. It's great breakthrough creative. It's highly emotional. It's highly relevant. All the stuff we say in these meetings, everything we want will work if you trust the measurement. If you ignore it, 
uh, it won't work because then other people are going to be measuring it for other things. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure creative people are saying, no, measure it for these things because these, these things work. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about data and measurement and machines, but obviously people, like you said, are a key component to all of this. And one thing that's really um, notable about FIG is how diverse the company is. I We included um, the agency in our performance review last year and um, you had, this was from last year, so it might even be different now, but 86% of the employees at FIG are BIPOC female or LGBTQ plus. So how do you, um, what's your strategy? Cause I feel like a lot of the momentum around DEI is just waning a little bit as people focus on the economy and, and other things. Um, what's been FIG's strategy there and how are you keeping the momentum? Yeah. A commitment more than anything else. And it's, it's also diversity and we just believe it in all forms. Yes. You know, you know, gender and every ethnic, everything, right? But also diversity of thought. We mentioned we have engineers and data scientists. So we just want people who think differently at FIG. And that's attractive to people. And when people come in to meet us, they, they feel more welcome in, in diversity in the, in the big sense and in the small sense. So, but to answer your question, it's commitment. I, did, I do think it's really a shame that, you know, there's a lot of statistics that companies are not as committed as they were a year ago. And we we just stay committed at the you know partner level, and we just make sure we're we're still doing everything we can. Yeah, I will tell you a favorite of mine, um, Richard Tan, our uh, CFO, started a, or got us involved with a program for, called iMentor, and now there's a handful of us doing it, and we're mentoring high school students, and for two years, you know, one on one for two years, and just to get them into higher education and to expose them to, Hey, media, you know, and advertising, all that is a viable career. That kind of stuff I think is long-term, but very effective. Yeah. And what about like, I think most agencies struggle with retaining diverse talent. What's, I guess, something that fake has done in the past that has worked to keep these people on board. Uh, I think, to be honest with you, it, it comes down to culture, and we had that right from day one. It wasn't something that we woke up to. We just had the right culture. And um, I, I gave Ted, our HR uh, head, he established that culture early on. So when you come into FIG, it does feel, it has that, hey, we're all in this together vibe. And it's palatable. Like, people come in, they, they, they get it right away. It's mm. not manufactured at all. It's not like one department doing it. It's everybody in the building believes it. And it's not like you had to change something that wasn't working at first, yeah, right? True. Yeah, we had a, we did, you know, focus on it better. We like, it, there's times like, hey, the numbers aren't going the way they should. Um, so let's make sure we're, we're in it. Like, that is part of the commitment, but it's mostly culture. Like, hey, this is what we believe. So we attract people who believe the same thing. Yeah. And are you guys back in the office? We're doing three days a week now. Okay. How do you feel that uh, impacts culture and the product? Uh, well, you're asking the wrong guy because I'm the <laughs> old school, you know, like come in all the time. I, I like a writer's <laughs> room, uh, but I've started, I'm, I'm opening up to it. Um, it. It's really just a commitment of keep that culture going. And I do think in person's better for everybody. My personal, this is my personal belief is in person's better for everybody. I think it's good to get in working with people uh, culturally and everything. So I, I just believe in it. I think we're getting to that balance though. Three mm-hmm. days a week, 
seems to be working for us. And, you know, and it gives Fridays and Mondays a chance to focus on, you know, your work, you know, a certain job, you know, but um, we're not crazy about it. We're not like looking at the clock, but we, we do believe we encourage people to hang out three days a week. Yeah. Yeah. So we are at the end of the year. What's your big prediction for 2024 when it comes to creative and the creative advertising industry? I, well, you won't be surprised. I think creatives are going to wake up to, you can, I'll call it data. I'll call it information. I'll call it AI. They're going to wake up to it because, well, first off, every headline is AI. And I think, you know, everyone's talking about jobs. I'm, I'm personally less worried about the job thing going forward, but I do think relevance is important. I would love, I want creative to be the heart and soul of this industry as it always has been. And I think that's waning. Uh, so I really desperately want creatives to wake up, get on board with this thing. It's not bad. It's good. It's like any other technology. You just have to get into it and not only get into it, but lead it, get really good at it. Use it to your advantage, our advantage as creatives and creative will get better. We'll get better opportunities. Work will get funny again. Because funny works and I can prove it now. Like all those things are really, really important. So get into it and use it properly. And then, and once we're leading it, we'll always have intuition protected. We'll always say, because it's the truth, we need great big thinkers out there. We need creative people out there. And yeah, we need to give them the right tools. Um, but I'm a little worried right now. It's, it's going a different direction. So I want to turn it around. Yeah, well, you heard it here, everyone. Wake up. <laughs> Use these tools to your advantage. Jump in. The water's warm. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Mark, and have a great holiday. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for the invite. Take care. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to Campaign Chemistry. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and head to campaignlive.com for all the latest news on advertising and marketing. 